What we're doing right now here at Connection is we're going through a series that we did last summer and we're repeating it. It's called Asking for a Friend. Sometimes there's questions you want to know the answer to, but it's more convenient to invent a friend who has the question. So we're just asking people, what do you think? What do you want to know about? What is the question that's burning in your mind about God or faith or life that we can take to the Bible and say, what does God say about this? We did this last summer. It was really well received, so we're doing it again this summer. Just put the question out there on a website and just ask people to pose their own questions and to rate the questions we submitted. One of the questions that came back that was really high on the list that a lot of people want to know about is about Islam. Is Allah just another name for God? And as I studied that question and thought, how do we address this? The first thought I had was, who can I find that's smarter than me to talk about this? And so I reached out to one of our uh, former elders here at Connection. He's a leader in the church. He's Bible college trained, very smart guy, Kyle Sackett. And in just a moment, he's going to be coming to share about this topic of uh, what does the Bible say and, and how do we share our faith and find common ground with our Muslim friends. So the reason I think of Kyle, not just because he's intelligent and really well studied in the Bible, but he's also spent several years living in a Muslim dominant country. And he'll tell you more about that. So I hope that you will find something that's helpful for your faith today for making connections with other people as we try to reach people and lead them to Jesus. And I hope that uh, you'll just give Kyle your attention now. Good morning. So as Brian said, I did, as a, as a teenager, spend a number of years living in Saudi Arabia. And it was at that time, having moved from rural Franklin County. So if you know where Campbellton is, you know where I grew up. And I moved from the country out into the boonies, from out in the boonies to the Middle East as a, as a 12-year-old. So that's part of my history. Part of the reason that I have some interest in this topic is Allah another name for God. Big old huge topic they spend doctoral theses writing about. So trying to cover it in 25 minutes is going to be a little bit of a challenge. But ponder our world with me for a moment. For those of us of a certain age, that might still actually watch the news. How, how many nights can you watch the national news without hearing a story about something that transpired either in the Middle East, in terms of fighting over religion, over Islam, an attack in the West by a Muslim against a Western interest? We just can't live without hearing about it. But then on the flip side, I feel like many of us sitting here in St. Charles County go, I hear that, I read that, but does it directly impact me? We don't have, uh, we don't have terrorist attacks going on in St. Charles County. But I would tell you, just in my little world, not including the gas station clerks and hotel owners that we run into, just the, the little place I work at, there are people from India, Pakistan, and Bosnia that are Muslims that work in my area of my business. And I suspect that whether you know it or not, your interaction with Muslims, even here in St. Charles County, is much broader than you would think. We can all go hop in our cars and at 10 minutes be at the Muslim Center of St. Charles County. So folks there here, and it is a worthy question for us to ask. But before I go on much further, I've, Brian, myself, we've used the word Islam and Muslim, and I want us to ponder 
what those really mean. And it's not just the name of another religion. So what is Islam? Well, it's a religion that was founded in the 7th century AD by Muhammad in Saudi Arabia. And at its most base meaning, it just means submission. So the entire religion is founded upon the word submission. And the root word for Islam is the same root word for the Hebrew word uh, Salem, which means peace or shalom as we would um, say modernly. And so at, at its root, it's all about submission. And the word Muslim is simply an adherent of Islam and by translation, one who submits. So when you're talking about those things, an Arab would hear the word submission, we hear the word Muslim. So much in the way that they say Christian, they use Muslim in the, in the world of Islam. So before we actually try to attempt to answer the question, is Allah just another name for God? I want to take a few moments to look at some similarities and some differences between Christianity and Islam. So first, we have a common heritage. For those of you that don't know, we have an Abrahamic Abraham, his, uh, lineage that's shared in common with, with uh, Islam. They claim Abraham as, as the father of their, of their faith. We have a geographic heritage that's common. Christianity, Judaism, and Islam all generated and derived out of the Middle East, primarily Jerusalem. And in reality, Jerusalem is kind of the epicenter of all of that. It's probably the most holy site for Jews and for Christians. It's the third most holy site for, for Muslims. And what I think a lot of people don't know is that in the diaspora, the, the removal of Jews from Israel by God, he spread them all over the known world. And from the time of the last scattering of Jews to today, there have been Jewish communities in Iran, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, all over the Middle East. And that common heritage from the time that God scattered them spread the word of, of the Jewish faith into many, many, many communities. And indeed, for Muslims, the holiest place is Mecca, and the most holy place inside of Mecca is the mosque, the Grand Mosque, and then the most holy place inside of that mosque is this black shrouded cube called the Kaaba. And in reality, it was a place that people that were, that were uh, of all religions went and worshipped, and when Muhammad came along, they cleansed it, and it was claimed that it was a dwelling place of Abraham. So we have all this common heritage. Well, to go with that common heritage, we also have some common beliefs. And I'll just rattle these off. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. Creation, Adam and Eve, the flood, Abraham, prophets, primarily prophets speaking for God to man and being God's spokesman in our world. 
And while there are common heritage and there are common beliefs, there are some significant differences as well. And I want to spend a little bit of time here. They view God as an individual, a one. So for a Muslim, their worldview is God is a single entity, he is separated from man, and they have no concept that we do. And we just got done singing a song, and I don't know if Ginger was smart enough to uh, have picked this or if it was just blind luck, but singing a song about the Father, Spirit, and Son. So in the Christian faith, we have this concept of one God, but in three people, in three persons. So we talk about the Father, we talk about the Son, and we talk about the Spirit. So that's a significant difference. It is a significant hurdle for answering our question, and it's a significant hurdle when you're dealing with a Muslim in your, in your life, because that is probably the single biggest hurdle they're going to have to come over. Another difference is scripture. If you were to ask them, they would say that they, and I'm being very generic here, they revere all scripture, but they would tell you that the most recent scripture, i.e. the Quran in their world, is the final word and is the perfected word, and that the Old Testament and the New Testament are corrupted words of God, and that man has come along and, and uh, ruined them, and he needed one final, last act to, to uh, transmit his word to us. And then finally, prophets. And you say, well, that's a common, you just said that's a common heritage and a common belief amongst us. And I'd say yes, but it's the view of prophets that's different. And primarily two prophets. First one is Muhammad. They would say that he was the last and greatest prophet and received that last word. And how they deal with Jesus. So if you were to go to a Muslim and ask them, what do you think about Jesus? They would say, oh, I highly revere him. He's mentioned in the Quran. He's to, to, he's to be uh, acknowledged and honored. And they even have some thoughts about his sinlessness. But he's just a prophet in their world. So big difference. Our world, is he a prophet? He's prophetic. But no, he's the son of God. So significant difference. So taking a brief look at Islam, what it is, how it compares to our religion, but now let's get on to our question. What we're really here to talk about to answer the question, is Allah the same as God? And I'm sure it's not going to surprise many of you if I tell you, you're not going to be happy with my answer because I'm going to say yes and no. So, again, doctoral thesis is written about this. So why yes? Why is Allah the same as God? I'll tell you there's a few reasons. One, we have common usage of it in a certain population. So just like the Jews were scattered all over the world, there were Christian communities through the mission work immediately after Christ's death that spread churches throughout the world. And just like there were Jewish communities in Iran, Iraq, Syria, there are Christian communities, even to this day, in Syria, Iran, Iraq, that continue. And guess what word they use for God? They use the word Allah. 
this word is, we have to be so careful with it. For those of us that grew up in the church, we knew there was a God, big G, and there was a God, little g. If you, if you can treat Allah like the little g word and the big g word, so we're going to have a little a and a little and a big A Allah, the church for centuries has used Allah in that big A, it's God. Much in the sense that from the time of Moses when Moses asked him, who should I say sent me? And God says, tell them the I am sent you. So in the sense that we're talking about that I am God, the acknowledgement that there's one greater power, yes, we can use that word in a similar fashion. And I think if you asked a linguist, and fortunate, fortunate or unfortunate for me, I have two linguists in my family. My son majored in it. And for those of you who don't know, my sister is a missionary we support with Wycliffe. And she works in um, Southern Asia, Europe, with Muslim community, giving, translating scripture. The linguists have primarily chosen to use the word Allah as God in their translations. So, is Allah the same as God? Yes. And no. So let's take a look at why I think that Allah is not the same. And we've really kind of touched on this already. And it's related to the significant difference in our faiths. Talked about they view God as a singular entity. We view God in this unique way that says he's three in one. He's the Father, Spirit, Son. And when it comes to dealing with family terms and the relation of God, we run into big trouble with the word Allah. So, and it, this can be participatory. In the Bible, if we translate the word God as Father, do you know what word's behind that? Abba. So we have this word Abba. We see that in the Old Testament, the New Testament, we translate that where we insert Father. So the problem now, when you're dealing with a Muslim whose mindset is a singular God, what do I do when I come to words like Father? like sun and spirit. I would love to tell you that this is some kind of simple thing that says, hey, you see father, you write the word father. But even in our world, it has been a struggle um, to translate it. And if you don't think so, and you can come back in September and ask her, you can ask my sister, as recently as five years, one of the biggest mainline denominations in the United States got into a big fight with the, the organization that my sister belongs to about how they were choosing to interpret the word father. And this is just one of the hundreds of um, websites that I found and what was happening was certain missionaries did not want to contend with dealing with 
the triune God. And so they chose any time that Father was mentioned, God in any reference, in any form, in their translation became Allah. So, did it transmit the meaning and purpose and function of that word? No. And so a few years ago, huge fight in the linguistic community that's, I don't think, even today entirely settled. So, can we answer the question, yes or no, is Allah God? I don't think we're really going to answer it today. I hope I've given you a little bit of a clue as to the sides of the debate. But I think I would like to do something else with the rest of our time. I would like to talk about maybe a different question. A question that more appropriately relates to how I handle myself in my community and how we all handle ourselves when we're interacting with Muslims. And that would be, how does God want us to interact with a Muslim? And to do this, I'd like to walk us through a biblical story. And again, for me, raised in the church, for many, many Westerners, one of the most popular children's stories from the Bible is the story of Jonah and the whale, right? Many kids grew up learning about this guy who got swallowed by the whale and then got spit up after three days. But the reality is, this is one of my favorite books of the entire Bible because it talks to how my heart works, is that we don't really know the story behind Jonah. So I'm going to go through four quick things here. Take a little bit of a closer look. First, chapter 1, verse 2. God speaks to Noah and says this, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. We have a message about God's anger when it comes to sin. And this is consistent through time. God got angry about sin with Adam and Eve in the garden. God got angry at mankind when he sent the flood. God got angry at mankind and sent his son who died on a cross because of the crushing weight of our sin. So this is not a new message, but it's a message that's in Jonah. And it's a message about how to deal with it. So Jonah hears this message, and what's his natural reaction? God says, hey, Jonah, I'd like for you to go to your worst enemy. And just for a point of reference, I would suggest that Nineveh was probably akin to being asked to go preach about sin in North Korea right now. You know, this was not... There was a reason to be trepid about it. So, the God of the universe speaks to Jonah, and his response? <laughs> i got to go the other way, God. And here's what he... In, in the very next verse, Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And as point of reference, this was the other side of the planet as far as the known world was concerned. He was running 180 degrees the opposite direction. 
And again, many of us know the story. Gets on the boat, admits to the guys that the storm is caused by God. They toss him off. He's swallowed by the whale. He gets to spend three days in uh, prayer in the belly of a giant beast in the bottom of the ocean who spits him out. And God comes again and says, what I really want is for someone to go preach against the sin in Nineveh, and I want you to do it, Jonah. So he chooses not to run again, and he goes to, he goes to Nineveh and preaches. Amazingly, the word of the Lord being preached in public in Nineveh reaches the ears of the king, and in Jonah 3.6, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. A message from God can be powerful when it's delivered, when God's telling you to deliver it. And Jonah's no exception. He went there, an entire city repented because someone was willing to stand up and say the truth. But... The hardest part for me of the entire book of Jonah is the ending. And if you've not read this, I'd encourage you. It's four little books. You can read it in ten minutes. Here's Jonah's response, sitting on a hill, under a vine, shading him from the heat, pondering God, saving the city. To Jonah, this seemed very wrong. He became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish? I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take my life. It is better for me to die than live. So this great prophet of God sits grumping on top of a hill. I knew it, God. You said you hated sin. You said you were going to destroy them. How could you do this? And we can all sit back and go, really? How could you be so ignorant to sit there, have seen a miracle? God's preached, or you've preached, and... They've responded. They've repented. Hallelujah. I, I would love to say that I'm not like Jonah, but I am. I was as a little kid. My older sisters would pick on me. I would do something stupid. I would get in trouble. I want retribution. You said if they do it, you would, you would spank them. Why aren't you spanking them, Mom? Isn't that the human nature? So, my question for you all today is, are you a Jonah? Or are you someone who gets excited when you see the Word of God being responded to? You know, our country, not that long ago, spent, what, 16 years, lived through a pretty traumatic event, September 11th. 
So, how many of you are Toby Keith fans? <laughs> Who wants to take the boot? <laughs> That's an emotional response, right? I, I want to stick it to you. Let's nuke them all to the to the into eternity. Well, got a an image of a billboard that was put up in the last few months in Indianapolis. And you don't have to read everything. It's six very negative things about the Prophet Muhammad, whose name is not mentioned. But it's so obviously about him that it infuriated the Muslim community. But I ask you, did the message of God get shared by that billboard? My gut reaction when I saw it was, yeah, stick it to them. Tell them about their own, their own ignorance. But the more I got thinking about it, man, that's a horrible, horrible way to live. That's a horrible way for me to think about a whole other group of individuals in the world. And then within a week, I got an email from our missionary in Turkey, Paul Leonard. Paul's got a whole different view of the world. He was willing to take his entire family and move to the center of, of Turkey. And Paul's looking for any which way he can to love a Muslim. And here's his story. And this, is, this will take me a minute or two. It's, a, it's his entire email, but I want to read it to you as a, as a contrast to that billboard. It's titled, When Patience Pays Off. He says, I've been part of a Bible study this year that has been filled with entirely non-believing Turks. We've probably had close to 25 visits throughout the year. Some come once, some drift in and out. Some are committed regulars. But for nine months, as we've studied the book of Matthew together, we haven't seen one person put their trust in Jesus. We've seen lots of times that people are growing in their love and appreciation of Jesus. They like his words, teachings, parables, mercy, miracles, etc. But no one was ready to make a commitment until this week. On Monday, we were studying Matthew 23, Jesus is railing against hypocrisy of the Pharisees and religious leaders. It's not the sort of passage that is generally used to lead someone to faith. But looking at the hypocrisy of religious leaders led us into a conversation of salvation by works. Who goes to hell? How long you have to stay in hell? Most Muslims have a concept that hell is more like what we consider purgatory, it's a place to pray for sins. We shared with them that the Bible there, or in the Bible, there is no way out of hell. Once you're there, you have to stay forever. Our friend Sabia said, well, if Christians don't think there's a way out of hell, then I don't want to follow the Bible because I don't want to be stuck there. My friend Rebecca responded by saying, but Sabia, God has made a way so that you don't have to spend any time in hell at all. That got her attention. Rebecca explained again, we've probably, and he in parentheses says, we've probably explained the gospel 15 times this year. Rebecca explained how Jesus died for our sins 
and that it's a gift we can accept. When she was done explaining, she asked if anybody wanted that gift. Out of our six friends in the room, four of them put their hands up. We talked about it, what it means to accept Jesus and his gift. We prayed with them, and after we said amen, Cora raised his head, and with a huge smile, asked, am I a Christian now? It was a fantastic evening filled with some great arguments, discussion, laughs, prayers, and when it was all done, we felt the patience had paid off. Rebecca likes to share the gospel early and often. She's great at it. But this year we've been reading the book of Matthew. Matthew is a book that woos and invites people to revel in the life of Jesus. It's a slow progression. He constantly hints at who Jesus is, but rarely comes right out and says it. Our group of friends loved Jesus more and more as they read his words and felt his presence in their lives until they came to the point that they happily invited him into their hearts without hesitation. So I'll ask you again. You want, you want to be a, a billboard purchaser? Or do you want to be someone like our missionary Paul, who for almost a year sat patiently walking through the scripture, letting the Lord speak to another group of folks. So I encourage you to ponder that. I encourage you to be the kind of person that pushes away from the anger, the rage, and looks at how do I reach out to, a, to another human being. But I'd also say, if, if you're sitting here and you're going, I think I'm the person sitting around the table being instructed and just learning. If you've got questions about Jesus, if you want to further your faith, see Brian, see Aaron, one of the elders, talk to me. We would love to talk to you about the faith. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're just so humbled to be in your presence. Lord, I just thank you for the questions from a friend series, that it's engaging us, helping us think about our world and how we live. And Lord, I just, uh, I just ask that as we interact in our communities and our workplaces with, with other humans that need and deserve to hear the message of your Son-saving grace that you work on our hearts and that you help us do that. And it's through your precious Son that I ask this. Amen.